Welcome to As Told Here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As Told Here brings community media to where you are. I'm a professor at Yale, and my training is as a clinical psychologist. So my doctorate is in thinking about how kids think and learn and how we can help them think and learn in ways that are going to be most useful to them. I'm also a scientist. And as a scientist, what we study in my laboratory is the brain. And really, those two things intertwine very tightly because the work that we do as scientists is to try to understand ways that we might interpret what the brain is doing so that we can better our ability to help kids as psychologists. So let me give you an example. Right now, if I wanted to think that think about what might be most useful for a child, say, to, you know, to pay attention in school, what I would do is talk to that child's family and, you know, learn what they've observed. I would have a conversation with that child. I would play with that child. And I would use all of that information with my clinical experience and what I understand about what's been tried before. And I would make a suggestion about what could be done. What we hope that as scientists is that maybe we could understand things about the brain that would let us do a better job at that. Like, what if I could take all the things that I see and all the things that parents tell me about, but then also combine that with something that I can measure about a person's brain, about their biology? It might give us more specific information. It might give us more sensitive information, and we might be able to do more useful things. Maybe we could do a better job of figuring out what treatment or whether a treatment would be useful for that child or might show us whether what we're already trying is working. But those are the that's the work that we do is to try to to see whether things that we can understand about the brain um, who to help us better as psychologists. the we're really aware in our scientific laboratory that we we do our work in partnership with autistic people and with families of autistic people we um we can only learn things when we all work together because we're really good at some things like measuring how the brain does certain things but really we can't do that unless people who have autism or people who live with autism are willing to work with us to learn together and so we recognize that. We, um, you probably recognize that as well. If you're watching this, if you have some kind of connection to the Autism Spectrum Resource Center, you probably care about autism. You probably care about autism research. You may think that it's really important. And really, we've given lots of talks on the internet. We've given actually lots of talks for ASRC. And most of the talks that we do are really about the science and the reasons that we think the science is going to be helpful. But today, I want to talk about research in a different way. I want to talk about why, well, the title of the talk is Why Research Rocks. And it, but there's a thousand reasons why research rocks. Why it rocks for you. I want to talk a little bit today about 10 reasons 
that we've thought about in the lab that research can be beneficial for a person, for a family. I want to talk about some of the misconceptions people have about research, things that people might worry about that are not founded, that are not realistic worries. And I want to talk about some of the things that we strive to do so that we can make participating in research easy, fun, worth your while, so that we can all achieve shared goals about understanding more about autism in a way that's helpful to autistic people. The first thing that I'm going to talk about is actually um, something that people get confused about about research. I want to clarify that participating in research in our lab at Yale is totally confidential and it's totally private. No one will know that you came in and participated in research. It doesn't get added to any kind of medical record at Yale. Your doctor doesn't know. Your child's school doesn't know. Your employer doesn't know. It's something that is really personal, that is confidential. And I think that's something that people sometimes wonder about. So that's the first thing I want to clarify. Participating in research is confidential. The only exception, the only person who could let people know you participated in research is you. And the second thing I want to talk about relates to a reason why you might want to tell people that you participated in research. Because when you participate in research, you are also receiving a clinical service um, in a different kind of way. Um, and I say that because you may want people to know that you've gotten that clinical service because you might get useful advice that you want to share with your doctor. You want to share with a school. You might even want to share with your employer if you're an autistic adult. Different kinds of things that I'm involved with here at Yale and that our team is involved with. And one of them is a developmental disabilities clinic. Now, this developmental disabilities clinic was started in the 1980s. It was founded by a mentor of mine, Fred Volkmar. And it was one of the first psychological clinics in the country and in the world that was specifically focused on working with people with autism. So it's um it's got a very strong reputation. There were a lot of clinicians, psychologists, psychiatrists, speech and language pathologists in this clinic who really care and who knew a great deal about working with people with autism. And is that when you come to a, a clinic any clinic for autism, somebody's usually paying, whether it's you, whether it's an insurance company. You're also, unfortunately, often dealing with some kind of waiting list. There are many families. That... But here's the secret about research, is when you come in to participate in a research study, you're actually getting an evaluation, just like you get an evaluation in a clinic with actually the exact same experts who work in the clinic, but there's, but you're not, your insurance not being charged. You're not responsible for any kind of copayment. You're not paying out of any of your own money. This is just a part of the research. So anytime someone comes in to do a research study, they're getting a very thorough evaluation, looking at diagnosis if necessary, looking at the way a person learns, their strengths and vulnerabilities in ways that might be very relevant to school. Um, and then you're also going to get, as a part of participating in research, a report, a written report that is just like what you would get in, in a clinical evaluation. And that is why I brought this up in the context of confidentiality. 
many people find those reports are extremely useful to bring to school, to share with doctors, to share with therapists, or even in terms of understanding themselves. So that's the second thing that I want to highlight about research is that when you participate in research, you are becoming a part of a, of a, of a clinical process. I also want to highlight that it's not a one and done. Our, our team isn't going anywhere. We're here. Many people who get involved in our research over time come to rely on our team for clinical input and clinical advice. And so it's really by becoming a part of our kind of broader community of research participants, you're actually availing yourselves of, uh, of our expertise in an ongoing way. The third thing that I wanna mention, I kind of hinted at it already, but when I said that you don't have to pay to participate in research, that is true, but it's not the whole truth. The whole truth is that actually you get paid to participate in research. We respect that you are busy. We respect that you have many things going on and that your time is valuable. And so when a family comes or when an adult comes to participate in research independently, they're compensated for their time. And this is part of a bigger pattern that we hope you would perceive in terms of us trying to be very aware of the things that could make it difficult for a, participant, a person to participate in research. And we wanna make it easy and worthwhile. So for sure, that's paying you for your time. For sure, that's thinking about your schedule, making ourselves available in the evenings, on the weekends, if you need to. It's thinking about the difficulties that you might experience in getting here. We're glad to cover the cost of your transportation or your gas. We always pay for parking for people who drive here and you don't have to worry about finding a parking spot in New Haven, which can be a challenge. So we've thought about all those kinds of things and we keep thinking about these kinds of things. One thing that we've realized recently is that the kinds of the, the way that we measure brain activity requires a person to wear a cap that can be difficult with certain hairstyles. So we'll work with you. Maybe you have braids and you're going to get them out to get them taken out to rebraid. We would love to understand the scheduling of that so that we can plan a visit when the braids are out. So really, we are we try to be really thoughtful about all the things that can make it easy or hard for a person to be involved in research. And we're really motivated to make it easy. So these are some of the things that we've thought about. But if there are things we haven't thought about it, we want to hear from you. Please tell us. Now, the fourth thing I want to mention is something that is also a way of kind of rewarding people for participating in research, but it is so important that it has to be numbered separately, and that is food. We love to eat, and we understand that when you are here with us, it doesn't mean you won't get hungry, and so we're going to make sure that your food needs are met. We have lots of snacks snacks that are appropriate for moms, dads, kids, adults. We will feed you if you happen to be here at a mealtime. Uh, now, the one thing that we don't have is a kitchen and a kitchen staff. So I can't promise that we're gonna cook for you, but we will ensure that you are fed good food while you are here. So that's another thing not to worry about. The fifth thing that you may not know about participating in research is we also recognize that people sometimes have multiple children. As a matter of fact, many of us have multiple children. And what I wanna do on a given day 
is a combination of what I actually want to do and what I can do while I'm also providing care for my children. So that's something that we can help with too. If you have a child that um, is autistic and you would like to participate in research, and let's say you have other children that aren't eligible for the study, ring them and our staff will spend time with them, entertain them. We have many toys, we have movies, and um, we want to ensure that the your need to look after your family is not something that would ever get in the way of being involved in research. So we are scientists, we are clinicians, and when we need to be, we are babysitters. So that's something that's important for you to understand. The sixth thing I want to highlight about participating in research is that it's fun. It tends to be fun. Most of the people that work in this field are people who, you know, got interested in psychology or got interested in child psychology because they like people and they like kids. And so when you, if you're an adult or when your child, if you're bringing in a child to participate in research comes in, you're probably going to have the experience of getting to meet a lot of people that you enjoy meeting. Um, Adults often enjoy talking with our team members, maybe learning about some of the things that are taking place during a visit. Kids love, um, often love coming in for a visit. We have many, many toys in our waiting area. We've got lots of ways to entertain them. We've got a whole team of very enthusiastic research fellows who enjoy playing with kids. The place is decorated in a way that's really welcoming, um, doesn't look like any kind of doctor's office. We actually let you do graffiti um, as part of one of the procedures. A little sticker goes on your head and you can pick anywhere on any one of our walls where you can stick that sticker up on our wall and leave your lasting mark. So participating in research can actually be really fun because of the people that you interact with. The seventh thing I want to say is that it can also be really fun because you have the opportunity to learn about science. Now, I'm a little bit biased because I think that few things are more fun than science. But I have observed that many of the people that come in to be involved in research also enjoy science. And there's a few things that really emerge as highlights for people. Um, one is when we measure a person's brain activity, the way we do it, as I said, is with a, a hat that you wear that picks up electricity, but then we can set it up so that you can actually see the electricity that is being made by your own brain. So we can have you sit in a chair and show you on a computer screen the brain is actually doing. We can show you how if you do something like move your arms or clench your jaw, we can actually see how that activity changes. And so that's pretty cool. Relatedly, we also can give you, if you'd like, a picture of yourself wearing one of these brain hats so that you have a souvenir of what you looked like when you were giving your brain activity. We're also really, really happy to talk with people about the science, why we think that the work that we're doing is useful, but we always want to wait until we're done with the actual work with you to tell you about what the science means, because we wanna make sure that the ideas that we have about what might be happening during a research study, don't, don't change your expectations in a way that I could kind of mess things up. So always ask, always, people can always ask lots of questions. We'd love to talk about the science, but I always know we might say, hey, wait, let's wait until we're done with the things that we're doing today. The eighth thing 
that I want to mention is swag. Everybody likes swag. And so we make sure that people leave here with swag. Kids who come in get to choose a toy from our prize box, which is fun. Um, adults, we have lots of different kinds of things from chapstick to coffee mugs. Um, I will say that I recognize that our lab is fueled on coffee and many of the parents who come in seem to have the same fuel. So we take very seriously the McPartland Lab coffee travel mugs and we hope that you'll um, you'll leave with one and uh, and use it to keep yourself fueled around town. If you if you like different beverages other than coffee, we have cozies to keep your can of soda or whatever beverage it might be cold while you're outside in the warmer weather. So getting goodies to take home is also a part of participating in research. The last two things I wanna mention are bigger picture things. Um, the ninth thing is that when you come in to participate in research, you are actually helping to create an environment that is training the next generation of psychologists, of doctors, of scientists who are about to dedicate their lives to, to autism and autistic people. So our lab actually has 16 people here who are not, you know, I'm cooked, right? I'm a, I'm a professor. I'm, I'm always training unofficially, but my official training is done. There are 16 different people in this lab who are training, who are en route to getting their doctorate or moving towards being ready to start their own lab or getting ready to go to medical school or graduate school. And it is so valuable for them to prepare to be independent in the future, to have the opportunity to exist in a vibrant research community. So by coming in, you are actually creating the setting that trains the next generation of leaders in autism, which is something that I think is, is so important. The last thing that I'm gonna mention is something that I, I think everybody knows. But when you come in and participate in research, you are changing the world. We do research in autism that is designed to change what is understood about autism in ways that make a difference in the lives of autistic people. And so when you come in, you are creating knowledge, you are co-creating information, techniques, clinical practices that are going to that mean that things will be done differently for people with autism in the future and done better. And that I know for many of the people who come in, it's not about a coffee mug. It's not about um, a meal or money. It's about the opportunity to make this a world that is better for people with autism. And so that's something that's really important. We, we try to make sure that everybody who comes in and participates in research with us, who helps us co-create knowledge, gets to be a part of our ongoing learning. We, most of the time people write up the results of what they learn and put it in a journal where it's only gonna be read by other scientists. Um, we do that too, but we realize it's a problem. So what we also do is we have a section of our website, mcp-lab.org, where we put summaries of all, so all the things that we learn that go on to these scholarly journals that are full of jargon and full of technical details, um, 
we put summaries online so that families who come in and work with us, so that participants who come and work with us, you don't have to be a scientist to understand why it matters. And we think that's really important. The last thing I want to mention about our mission is that, um, that we are respectful of all different kinds of autism. We live in a time where it's really hard to know what having autism means for a person, to know what it means for a parent. And there are many who want to really aggressively intervene with autism. And there are many people who want to think about autism as a source of strengths. And we see the benefit in all of these approaches. And the work that we do is really designed to understand. Uh, because we believe that the more that we understand, the more that we can help any given person. And for some, you know, for a parent, that might mean helping their child produce a word or look them in the eye. For a person with autism, that might, it could mean anything. It might mean feeling more comfortable having a conversation with someone. It might also mean nothing to do with social things. It might mean getting some, knowing more effective ways to treat things like the anxiety or depression that affect many people with autism. Um, so we're really thoughtful about how autism can mean so many different things. And we truly try to keep that close to our, uh, to our hearts in the research that we do. Um, those are some things that we think you might appreciate as reasons why autism research rocks. We're happy to talk to you about any of these things. We're happy to hear your ideas. We're happy to talk about the nitty gritty scientific details of what we do. Be in touch with us. Our email address is mcp-lab at yale.edu. Our website is mcp-lab.org. You can find lots of detail there. Our email address is mcp.lab.org lab at yale.edu. So as a part of every research study that we do, we, um, we the, the first thing that we do is an assessment. We want to understand a few things. One, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes we want to confirm for research purposes an autism diagnosis. And so we would do um, an assessment. There's a couple of different ones that we use, the brief observation of the symptoms of autism, or is the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule. They're called the, they, they have acronyms BOSA and ADOS that one of our clinicians would do with a child or would do with a mother or father and child. And um, we also would do a cognitive assessment, or you might also call it like an IQ test. And that gives us a sense of where a person's developmental level is. It's also really important for us for interpreting the results of our research studies. So those are... Um, the pieces of a research evaluation, both of those, when you're done with an evaluation, we one of our psychologists writes up a report and gives the results to the family, along with the recommendations that we have, clinical recommendations for school, for therapy, for what have you, based on what we've learned. So that's what a research assessment um, looks like. It does have summaries of the studies that are ongoing and for which we are recruiting. If you sign up for our newsletter, we also include in each newsletter a little kind of each, in each newsletter, we highlight one of the studies that's going on so that people can learn more about it. Um, there's a question whether participants can be dually or multiply diagnosed. Yes, they can. Um, there, there's, there's sometimes nuances in what is appropriate for any given study, but in general, being dually or multiply diagnosed 
is not an issue at all. In fact, in some studies, it's something that we're really seeking. I will, one thing that I'll highlight is one of the things that's really important to us right now is um, historically, there have been a, a number of groups that have really been excluded from neuroscience research in autism. One really important group is people with autism who have um, intellectual disability, or you might call it profound autism or severe autism. And so one of the um, one of the one of the main studies that we're doing now actually is really to try to make up for lost time and involve people who have autism and IQs below 60, so who also have a diagnosis of intellectual disability to be able to participate in our neuroscience studies. And, and so that's ongoing because there's so many different kinds of health and medical conditions, and some of them would make a person ineligible for a study. The, the way that we handle that is that we would ask people to call into us or to email, and we have a, a, our intake coordinator whose name is Bella Ponyevic, and who would talk with you in detail for two reasons. One, so you can know exactly what the study is about and make sure it's something that is of interest to you. But two, so she can ask you all those kinds of questions. Um, you know, depending on your age, depending on your IQ, depending on other conditions or medical issues, there might be studies that are a good fit for a person or not a good fit for a person. And so we would figure out all of those things through the screening process. Is there a set number of visits? How frequently will folks visit? Um, it depends. It depends on which research study it is. Um, for example, there are some research studies that might be done in a single day. There are some research studies that we're doing where we're very specifically interested in how a person um, changes over time. And so for those research studies, we might expect a person to come in, you know, three separate visits over the course of six months. So it really varies. All those those details are usually detailed on our are usually included on our website and Bella would let you know all of those kinds of specifics. You can um, have received TMS previously and still come in to participate in our TMS study. Those of you who aren't clear what TMS is, TMS stands for transcranial magnetic stimulation. And what this is, is a technology where you just use a very strong magnet that you hold against a person's scalp and it sends out a series of magnetic pulses that stimulate a brain region. And one of the research studies that is ongoing in the lab is seeing how stimulating certain brain regions might improve certain feelings for people with autism, or it might change certain behaviors or change some of the things that we see in the brain. Participating in a prior TMS study does not rule out participating in one of ours. We would wanna talk with you in detail about what was being stimulated, what brain regions were being stimulated in the other study. And um, we'd wanna think carefully together about what timing makes sense so that our that our TMS stimulation um, can be done responsibly with respect to what's been done before. Definitely a lot to think about. And I think there's definitely, as you said, there's just so much value to this research being done. Not, not just the swag and the, the stickers and the, the snacks and whatnot, but there's just so much that this research produces for us to better understand autism. Dr. McPartland, I thank you so much for not only for the research that you're doing, but for spending some time with us today. You have definitely given me a lot to think about as well as our viewers and I, I thank you for all the work that you do you and Yale Child Study it's amazing
likewise, we're so grateful for our, our collaborations and partnerships with ASRC. Thanks to our local producers and Team Hercules for production support. As told here, conversations and stories shared in the public interest in Studio W at WPAA-TV and Community Media Center. As told here, brings community media to where you are.